Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hi, welcome back to Spooky Psychology. Welcome back for like the fourth time due to sound testing. My name is Megan Baker. <laughs> My name is Lauren Malika. And we were discussing whether or not we need a more natural sounding introduction to this podcast. I feel like this is authentic though and people come here for the authenticity. Yeah, the feedback that we've gotten from close friends such as Leslie and Ashley both indicate that this is very natural oh, for good. who we are as people. And they're like, it's like you're with me, but when I talk back, you can't hear what I'm saying. And it's like, yes, that is that is the gist. That is the gist. So, I'd is... also like to state a public apology. Um, I have come to understand some couples' clients I see do listen to the podcast. And <laughs> it's not that I hate giving couples <laughs> therapy. It's just certain types of couples are more difficult to work with and the couples that I do work with now I love and enjoy and I swear I don't hate it so that's all I'm gonna say about that public service announcement if Lauren is your couples counselor it means that she likes you I have kept you she has kept you you know and I think that's also a good point it's you know counselors have different preferences yep. i think it's not that we dislike any clients no just, never it's really it's like you know your personalities click some clients are just harder than others it doesn't mean we dislike it it just means that for whatever reason it doesn't vibe with our you know favorite thing like people ask you do you get asked if you have a favorite client yeah by clients or other people by clients, I okay. do. And, like, specifically when I used to work in, like, a residential facility, people would be like, oh, I think so-and-so is your favorite client. Or am I your favorite client? I'm like, guys, please stop. Yeah. Um, but, no, like, when it comes to couples, I think the reality of it is just it makes me anxious when couples are, like, very contentious and, like, fight in front of yes. me. And I don't like that. So that specifically is what I don't like. Right. I think working with people to build a better foundation for their relationship is great. But working with people who want to scream at each other for an hour And it's, like, it's a last-ditch like, effort. Like, what yeah. am I supposed to do? And I think there's great counselors for that situation. Yep. You are just not one of them. I have for that. a soft heart. <laughs> I am a fragile human. We're both kind of soft and gentle type of people, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that's... I get asked that both by... And, like, other people, where it's like, do you have, like, a favorite client? It's like it's like asking a parent if they have a favorite child. It's like... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So Lauren has a favorite client. I don't. No. no. I don't. Usually, we don't. It's, again, some clients, like, are easier for us to work with. Yep. Some are harder, but that's the same with any job, right? Some projects are easier than others for you. Some projects are a bit of a challenge, and challenges help us grow, so it's not, like, a negative yeah. thing. And I would genuinely say right now, like, everyone who's, like, in my caseload, like, I genuinely like working with yeah. all of them. It's a really good feeling. I would agree with that, yeah. I also think... Um, it's kind of interesting. I think I have some clients who listen to the podcast, too. So I always wonder if it's, like, Is this weird, weird? they learn <laughs> things about us, like, as people. And it's, like, I don't know if they want to, like, bring it up to us and just be, like, so how's this? Yeah, because it's, like, they, which is, I mean, fine. Our clients are more than welcome to listen to this podcast. This podcast is for anyone. And I think it kind of, you know, to get a little bit nerdy about it for a second, like, I remember 
learning about kind of like a feminist theory, client-centered therapy theory kind of stuff. And like with that framework, I think sometimes it's helpful for people to see that we're human beings Mm -hmm. and we're not all knowing and, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes stress gets to us. Sometimes we watch seven hours of Netflix instead of using (laughs) our coping skills like we know we should. Yep. Um, Criminal Minds, man. Lauren I have a drinks problem. tall boys of coke and that's not the healthiest thing i do love a coca-cola tall boy i'm i'm limiting myself to mini bottles right now because i'm trying to be less of a garbage human in 2020 i appreciate your control <laughs> i have none <laughs> i've also been trying to get to the gym um i haven't been this year i'm gonna be radically honest with everyone if i went once I'm so i walked proud of you. on the treadmill and i was proud that is great. Sometimes mm-hmm. I go to the gym and I walk on the treadmill for five minutes and then get a massage. I mean, sometimes I want to do yeah. that too. It's great. Planet Fitness has some really good massage tables. Like I don't have massage. that upgrade, but I've been thinking about Someti- getting it. If you ask them at the front desk if you can try things, they have they in the contract they let you try everything one time. So oh. you can ask them if you can try it, and they'll have like weekends where you can use it with free. Dang, okay. I will say that they don't often check your membership card before allowing you to go back <laughs> This there. is not an official statement. No, do not be unethical. If you're <laughs> using the Planet Fitness Massage Beds, pay for the added membership. But you can try it a couple times, and they're cool. Mm-hmm. Usually if you're just like, hey, I want to try it because I'm thinking about upgrading my membership, they'll let you try whatever. But if you do it all the time, they're going to get you on. Hmm. This is important information. Thank you, Megan. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is like the spiel that I give with weight loss clients a lot <laughs> with uh, different gyms because I love Planet Fitness. I, I do too. I do. It's really nice. I also need to work out more because of my soft, shitty body. Um, That's my issue too. Like my ribs keep popping out of yeah. place because I have no strength. <laughs> right. And I'm not saying, like, that I have a soft, shitty body is, like, a body-shaming statement. I have nothing wrong with my physical appearance. I just have joints the that are too joints loose are not and very soft good. and are shitty, and then they dislocate frequently, and I need to exercise more because I would really, like, I dislocated my hip rolling over in bed, and that really sucks, and so I would like to not Strengthen that. that. So, it's soft in that way. I'm not, I'm not, Strengthen like, this core. I need to strengthen everything. I need to get a bunch of those exercise bands and, like, do all my physical therapy exercises from the, like, six years of physical therapy I've done in my life to try to fix this situation. Help. Help us. (laughs) Unfortunately, if any of my physical therapists are listening, I'm sorry, I don't do the exercises anymore. And you're right, that was a bad idea. (laughs) I can confirm through scientific testing. Yeah. It's, uh, It's a fun life. We're living here. It's it's a thing when you're chronically ill. Is there like go to the gym? It will help you, but you're too tired right. to go Here's to the, the gym. Thing. That's gonna use like half of my spoons. And so. then I'm gonna watch Criminal Minds for seven hours afterwards. Is this health? It's like that one Question meme with the butterfly. Mark. Oh, I love that one. Where it's like, is this progress? But progress 
you know, progress is sometimes switching to a smaller can of Coke instead of a tall boy once a week. That's where it's at. Getting half of the pumps of coconut caramel syrup in your large Dunkin' coffee, right? Two instead of four. And this week, the switch up for us was switching from regular Toll House cookies to mini Toll House cookies. Mini Toll House cookies. Progress. Very, very proud of you guys. Thank you. As a family, we're working hard. We are working hard. Do you have goals for 2020? I guess we could have talked about this in the first episode in 2020, but second. Here we are. Here we are. It's progress. Um, My goal for 2020 actually is to take more pictures with friends and family, because I always forget to take pictures. Yeah, that's a really good one. I think we have shocking little pictures I know. All of us are old. We have... I just found, and I will cut this out if you want me to, that picture of you in college, like, planking under a car with an umbrella. Do you remember yeah, this in the parking garage? Yeah, because my, um, I think my, not my engine was falling out, but, like, something was falling off no, my car. No, your engine was not falling It was, out. like, something underneath my car was falling down. It was, down. like, one of the pieces of plastic that yes. under, like, the undercoating was falling down, and we were trying to fix it as college was this after the lab meeting where uh-huh. we snuck in alcohol <laughs> oh maybe i think it was after that one it may have been that our apologies to david so bridget <laughs> we were all drunk in that meeting and i don't know how you didn't realize that i um, think he just kind of turned a blind eye to a lot of the things we did yeah or like we convinced everybody during that one um presentation i can't remember where we were but we like convinced everyone to get piercings that was in uh minneapolis yeah 13 of us got piercings in minneapolis spur of the moment as far as i know i am the only person who still has their minneapolis did you get that was your, my nose it was your nose it was my nose oh piercing. my god yeah my smiley didn't last very long your smiley's not the thing is um, and, in, I mean, maybe this will humanize us. Therapists definitely were young ones and did stupid things, <laughs> really? like deciding to get piercings despite their ex-boyfriend while at a conference. Just getting, like, your gums practically pierced you and did. then scratch my enamel. <laughs> yours took forever. Um, and I think the thing is, to uh, demonstrate how bad of a decision that was, we all got crazy infections. Yeah. I think crazy. I remember... What was his name? Harrison? Harrison! Got his lip pierced, but it was like too high or too low or something. It was like through his actual lip instead of Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Harrison took his out first. Yours came out not. Not on purpose. I think it took it out for a wedding. Yeah. And then it closed. closed. I know LBs got really infected because yeah. we were living together at the time. Oh, yeah. And yeah, mine got infected a bunch of times, and that's how I found out I'm very allergic to nickel, and I need a titanium nose stud or it Fun. gets infected the whole time. So Things you learn. Things you learn. Yeah, we went to a really shitty piercing studio without researching it at all first, yeah. and then all got infected piercings. We're like, and we're here to present the data. We're here to present <laughs> the data with the piercings uh, we just got last night. Um, David did not like He was those. so he pissed. He was very low-key upset. Um, we did a lot of things that upset him that trip, I think, so. And Speaking now of we... humans doing weird things, yeah. Uh, do you want to tell them the topic of the day? 
Ooh, I'm not sure if I would really classify this as weird, more of utterly horrifying, which is the vibe of the podcast you're listening to, is we are going to talk about Stockholm Syndrome. Dun dun dun! Now this topic was lovingly suggested to us by our OG number one fan, Brandy. The OG. The OG. Most important woman in our lives. Really, at this point, yeah. Um... And, and a couple other people requested it a too, couple right? Other people, yeah. Bonnie suggested it to me as well. Hello, Bonnie. Bonnie Hello, has agreed Bonnie. to formally be my mentor because of a comment I said early on okay. in an episode. So, formally, very formal mentorship. We're using that idea. She gave us a whole list, so I'm sure we'll cover a whole bunch of those as well. Dope. Okay. Um, please send us your ideas. Follow our Facebook page, Spooky Psychology St. Charles. You can message us. We are actually beginning to get organized and plan ahead. Yeah, we are. So hopefully you'll have a better quality and more timely. Sorry, I released the last episode at like 9 o'clock at night. I had a lot happen, and the editing is not one of the things that happened, so it took me longer to get to it, but I got to it. We got to it. It's out there. We're hoping to get this a little bit more on a schedule, maybe give you more of a professional vibe for this situation. Maybe. Maybe. But we are planning ahead, so send us your ideas, send us your feedback, tell us, you know, what types of things, if you want more murder, if you want more diagnoses and things like that. We're very receptive. Yep, we are. Listening to you. And Um, if there's certain things that you really, really like that we're doing, like, let us know so we'll keep doing them. If you're like, stop it with your weird intros and just get to the psychology, great, tell us. Please tell us. If you want more random ramblings about our lives, then we can... Oh, and if you're from a different country, say hi. Yeah. I don't know why I really want that, but I need it. We want to be your friend. Your American friends. Your American friends. Your American girl dolls. <laughs> if you, you know, I think we want to be your friends. We want to hear from people outside the country. We want their perspective on things. Um, we can all be like pen pals and visit each other and maybe not that far. Maybe but... not that far. <laughs> but we'd love to hear from you. I know um, I've heard from one of our lovely listeners in spain hola jamie but i know oh. her in real life it oh okay sister, oh so right she okay. messages me about I was like that's so exotic too. but we did get feedback from her so thank you jamie for jamie. listening in spain um Jamie's <laughs> jamie does not have a gun as far as i know i'm not sure i guess i've never been to spain to visit her so i don't know i don't know what she owns but she's not a threat as far as we know <laughs> good yeah, so let us know. Reach out to us. Uh, Lauren, what is your Insta handle? Oh, it's uh, Lauren underscore Malika, M-O-L-L-I-C-A, L-M-F-T, um, at Instagram. Absolutely. And I am Megan Baker, L-C-S-W, on Instagram. Follow me. I'm working on actually doing things on my Instagram now. I have not for, like, several months, but I'm going to get back to it. So you can follow us there to, you know, see pictures of our animals and inspiring memes and different therapy things on there. Us at work. Yeah. Stuff like that. Work stuff. So those are our professional Instagrams. So please feel free to follow us. Like our Facebook page. Reach out to us with feedback. Reach out to us Give us stars. Yeah. On iTunes. Go go on iTunes. Uh, 
make an iTunes account if you have to. <laughs> Give Create us several identities. Several identities commit fraud for us. Now, um, only one per person, please. But if you like us, give us a five-star review. I think we're trying to get bigger yeah, in 2020. in 2020. I think we're trying to get bigger. So if you have friends who you think might like the podcast, send it to us. Maybe yeah. we'll start doing more on our Facebook page. Maybe there will be a giveaway. Ooh, that's a great I idea. I do have an idea for a giveaway. Yes. We, so. I'll, I'll do my best to be more active on the book, on the Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I have... Um, some books on satanic panic cool. that I purchased for that episode. So I don't know if we could raffle those. Cool. Anybody want, I don't know. We're coming up with ideas. So maybe we'll do a raffle or something for, you know, getting our name out there mm-hmm. and helping out. We'll, we'll figure something out. So check our Facebook for that. Yep. Um, but, you know, just like Brandy is probably excited to see this right now. Maybe your episode ideas will make it on the table. Maybe yeah. we'll uh, even, and we'll talk about you. We will talk about you. If you just want a shout out, reach out to us. Tell us who you are, where you're from, how you found out about us, and uh, we'll give you a shout out. Ooh, I have a fun idea. If you have any like weird or funny um, theory, uh, therapy experiences that you want to share, leave it as a comment in your rating for us and we'll read it oh okay so that might be fun that could be fun or send it you can also message it to us privately if you don't want us <laughs> publicly like associated yeah. with your name that's fine too but yeah that's fun yeah um, and yeah we'll do we'll try to be more active we'll try to be better podcasters we're gonna try to be better people we're gonna try to be better i think that's uh we talked about your 2020 goal to take more pictures my oh yeah what's yours My goal in 2020 is, I think, it's kind of hard to work. Like, my overall arching goal for 2019 was to be less of a garbage human. Um, That was it. Very broad. My Really, more specifically, it was to stop having a pile of clothing next to my bed. Oh, Um, that's hard. I get that. Mixed success in 2019, guys. I do really good for a while, and then I'm tired and then I don't put my clothes away after I wash them. So then I have that folded basket of clean laundry and then my dirty laundry on the floor. We've all done that at least once. So no I have judgment. like a spare bed that's just filled with clean laundry. Yes. If we had a spare bedroom, we would have a spare bed full of laundry. Yes. I'm sure. Um, so I think I, I don't like to do strict resolutions, but I think... This year, my goal is just to be more authentic mm. to who I am. I, I like think that. I'm just trying to be more myself, be more active in things that I enjoy, and just try to experience life a little bit more. I've had Good. a lot, you know, I had a very eventful 2019, mm-hmm. and I think things got away from me for a while, which does happen, so I'm trying to get back to it, do more things that I enjoy, like coloring, photography, exercise, those types of things, just be more authentically myself than I have been. I like that. That's a good one. Good, vague. It's not a smart goal. (laughs) It's not specific or measurable, but But neither am I. Neither am I. Do not measure me. Do not measure me. All right, that on with a, the show. That was a weird tangent. Thank you for, thank you for sitting through that. Um, so now, Lauren, yeah. will you be a deer and tell us what Stockholm Syndrome is? Surely. 
So, um, Stockholm Syndrome is a condition in which hostages develop a psychological alliance with their captors during captivity. So, emotional bonds may be formed between the captor and captives uh, during intimate time together, but these are generally considered irrational in light of the danger or risk endured by the victims and just the fact that they were captive. Mm -hmm. Um, there are four key components that characterize Stockholm Syndrome. So the first one is a hostage, hostage's development of positive feelings towards the captor. Um, the second one is no previous relationship between the hostage and captor. So that's a very important distinction so that you don't confuse it with um, like abusive relationships and things like that. A refusal by hostages to cooperate with the police forces and other government authorities unless the captors themselves happen to be members of the police force or government authorities. And then a hostage's belief in the humanity of the captor because these cease to perceive the captor as a threat when the victim holds the same values as the aggressor. So that's kind of the definition there. Yeah, and then, you know, it's a really interesting phenomenon. So. The term Stockholm Syndrome originated in Stockholm, Sweden, hence Stockholm uh -huh. Syndrome, we're great at naming things, um, because there was a bank robbery in Stockholm in 1973, so this is a relatively recent phenomenon. Um, and during the robbery, the bank robbers, they held four employees captive in a vault for more than five days, so it was yeah. everyone just in that vault for five days. And the hostages, they bonded with the people holding them hostage um, that they claimed was due to the small acts of perceived kindness on the part of the abductors. So things like one of the women was very claustrophobic in the vault, and mm. so they tied a Me. rope to her and let her leave the vault, so that, but they could hold on to the rope and like hold on to her to make sure that she didn't run off. Interesting. So to her, that was like kindness, like they were taking care of her, even though they were holding her hostage. Yeah. Right? And so... Basically, it really, you know, eventually they began, the captives began to fear the police more than they feared the actual bank robbers. Like the police got sent in at one point in time to check in with them and they reported that they were very jovial and friendly when they were talking to their captors, but they were very guarded against the police. And so it was very confusing. So this confused the police and the public, as well as the captives themselves, and the psychiatrists likened the reaction to shell shock, which is what they used to call PTSD. It was right. shell, they would say that veterans were shell shocked, and that's kind of why they were going through this. We now know it's trauma. Um, and they explained that they, that they felt grateful to their abductors rather than the police for not killing them. Weird. And it's kind of interesting if you're looking, trying to look historically at this whole thing. Anna Freud, who was Sigmund's daughter, hey. um, did talk about, in some of her writings, identifying with your abuser. She mm -hmm. kind of started discussing that idea. So that, in a way, is similar. Um, so there are kind of other things, like little bits and pieces of this have been talking about, but Stockholm Syndrome itself wasn't really observed until 1973. True. Um, so to kind of go with that and just kind of take another dive, um, that's you. That is Sorry. Me. That's okay. Lauren is so excited to I'm tell so you excited. guys things, but... 
we tend to split up our research so there's different like parts of it that one of us has researched a lot more than the other one of us um so if you're looking at the psychology behind stockholm syndrome you know it really the psychologist that came up with it he was a no i'm sorry he was a psychiatrist and a criminologist his name was neil Niels Burroughs. Um, but he was kind of the one that he dubbed the title. And so some people suggest that Stockholm Syndrome is an ego defense. We have different defense mechanisms. One is reaction formation, which is the adoption and exaggeration of ideas and impulses that are opposed to your own. So a common example of that would be like acting like you hate someone that you actually have a crush on. We have done this. All of us have. We've all completely done that. Um, But at the same time, so some people suggest that reaction formation is what's happening in Stockholm Syndrome, where you're really terrified of it. But in order to kind of help yourself get through this. Or feel safer. Or feel safer. You're acting like you really like them and trying to get them on your good side. Um, But some research suggests that Stockholm Syndrome is actually an adaptation, not just an ego defense. So, you know, they're saying that it's basically a survival mechanism. Mm. So you're trying to do, you know, something I like to tell trauma survivors is that a lot of times you did what you had to do to survive and your choices may not always represent what you would have chosen in another situation. Totally. And so it's like you're doing what you can to survive. So some are saying that, you know, they're acting like they're, like, they're basically acting like they like them in order to survive the situation. However... You know, that's kind of where you get into a Stockholm Syndrome, is are you purposefully acting like this, or do you genuinely bond? Right. And that's kind of the difference, is with Stockholm Syndrome, it appears to be a genuine bond that confuses even the person who has it. It's not a pretend thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, sometimes hostage negotiators will actually encourage people to pretend they have Stockholm Syndrome and, like, bond, and they'll try to do things to humanize Right, yeah. like talk about their kids or ask about family. Right, and... um, like I read something that like they will tell the captor like, oh, tell this person that their son and give his name like says he can't wait to see them or different things. or Like, like people's ch- specific names. Yeah, yeah, to try to humanize the situation. Um, but if you're looking at specifically more about Stockholm Syndrome is that Incidents involving hostages that appear to have Stockholm Syndrome are more likely to occur when they're held captive for several days and have close contact with their captors. They're generally not harmed and might even be treated with kindness. And then if they have Stockholm Syndrome, they'll often experience PTSD symptoms like nightmares, insomnia, and flashbacks. Um, You know, and at the same time, you know, Stockholm Syndrome can kind of develop another theory is that, you know, 
they're dependent on the captor for all of their needs to mm. get met. So sometimes it can be like reverting to childhood. Like a real fucked up caregiver. Yeah. And like you need that person so you might bond with them just to survive. But that's the question of is it an ego defense or is it more of a adaptation to the right. situation? An attachment even. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk about something called trauma bonding, and this is actually something I talk a lot about um, with clients of mine because I, I tend to work with a lot of people who have been through trauma. Um, so this term was coined by Patrick Carnes, and I'm actually reading one of his books right now about sex addiction. It's very fascinating. Um, so anyway, trauma bonding refers to an attachment bond that is created through repeated abusive or traumatic childhood experiences with the caregiver where the relationship pattern becomes internalized as a learned pattern of behavior of attachment so if you experienced abuse from a caregiver who also loved you then you learn to associate love with abuse this became the template for how you learn to relate to others and form relationships so you expect that in order to feel loved, you get abused. So abuse feels like love, and oftentimes many become attached to their abusers to feel loved in this way. So it's almost this um, holding on to the fantasy of being loved and respected. Okay. Um, so a lot of times um, the survivor of, um, you know, being captive uh, can come to find that it can almost be impossible to relate to anyone else even family or old friends except superficially so there is a biological craving for the intensity that nor no normal relationship will satisfy personally i can identify with this mm -hmm. like i remember early on in earlier relationships like the intensity of some of the relationships i was in definitely was trauma bonding you know it was based on having that intensity of like big feelings and chaos and like fighting and then getting back together and like all of that stuff i think there actually is a lot of trauma bonding that occurs in teen relationships oh yeah because teen relationships are so intense like your first relationship it can kind of be on a different level and a lot of the behaviors that are modeled for teens in relationships through media through their friends are very unhealthy behaviors so a lot of people's exper first experience with dating is an unhealthy experience relationship yep. and that can cause a lot of this type of stuff coming out totally and yeah so to kind of circle back um so there's that biological craving for intensity um that no healthy relationship will satisfy right so then this provides a feeling of being totally alone and totally empty so at first only going back to and at first they're only going to want to go back to the primary aggressor to kind of overcome that feeling um it would be normal in this state to believe that something is horribly wrong with leaving even if it seems equally true that something is horribly wrong with staying. Mm. So to kind of shift it away from like romantic relationships and back into this type of setting with somebody being held captive, um, you know, if they have these early attachments of being abused, you know, they may be in a framework where they equate love and abuse to be one and the same. Um, they also, you know, may 
be kind of accustomed to like the intensity of the situation and um you know kind of have that addiction a little bit to the chaos yeah i mean i think it's similar in a way that um i've heard this from people who have gone skydiving i would never go skydiving Ugh, because i'm scared neither. but a lot of people say that skydiving is pretty much the most intense thrill you can get as a person yeah and like you can never reach that again and that's the thing with adrenaline junkies as we call them is like they're trying to get that sensation and if yep. you go skydiving you'll like never be able to recreate that with anything else so if you think about the intensity of being held hostage and like having this person be fully controlled of you that's an intensity that's never going to get matched in any other situation that's like these right. things that we experience good or bad like we all have had a most intense moment of our mm -hmm. lives so far yep. right and that lo those intense moments just cannot be recreated in other situations right and especially it being such like a rare thing like if we're looking at like the textbook definition of stockholm syndrome um you know i'm sure after all is said and done it's very hard for them to relate to other people because mm -hmm. like who else has really had that experience not that many people yeah absolutely. so so then the next part I wanted to talk about, I was actually watching, um, I think her name is Katie Morton. She does the psychology YouTube video. So I was watching one of her videos about Stockholm syndrome. Um, and she used it in the sense of like, if you were considered to have Stockholm syndrome in a relationship, and I know there's different definitions of it, but I wanted to talk about this one a little bit too. Um, so basically, what happens a lot like with um the captors is they kind of use almost this sociopathic manipulation so they're using little bits of kindness to kind of trick people um so the kindness tricks the brain into thinking okay this situation might change like mm -hmm. things might get better or they might set me free or you know things like that um, and therefore, the absence of abuse equals kindness. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from big picture, like, no, they're not being kind because they're being held ca captive. Absolutely. Um, isolation is a key part of this um, because it removes the insight from other people that can help you um, and see the situation more clearly. It also removes our brain's ability to compare, like mm -hmm. what's normal versus what's not. Um, also, it, um, oh, so it also can change the perspective of the person who's being held captive. And so they change their perspective to be more in line with the abusers because if they can predetermine what the abuser or the captor likes, then they can have it that way, say it that way to ensure safety. So mm -hmm. it kind of goes back to the survival thing too. Yeah. So now I have some information from the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin. This one came out in July of 2007. Ooh. So it's kind of older information in terms of information, but it is their bulletin on understanding Stockholm Syndrome. So this is kind of from their perspective. Like mm -hmm. Lauren said, there are different definitions. This is some information from the FBI. So really, they're indicating that it's the intensity and the lack of physical abuse which leads to Stockholm Syndrome. So like mm -hmm. you were saying, 
it's that whole it could be so much worse they could be doing this but they're not they could be doing this but they're not like the examples of back in the actual stockholm bank robbery Mm -hmm. letting her leave the vault not raping or abusing any of the people and just kind of keeping them all there together right Um, it's that perceived act of act of kindness and the hostage views the perpetrator as giving them life just by not killing them. Which is some mental gymnastics. Right? But I think, you know, if you look at, again, the intensity of the situation, you do what you have to do to survive. It Mm kind of takes over. So this is not logical. Like, people aren't usually thinking it through. It's a response that you go through. And so it's very much that, like, you're you're letting me live, so you're not the bad guy here. Right. Um, The hostage barricade database syndrome system, which the FBI has... It has data to, like, 4,700 reported hostage barricade incidents. They said 73% of the captives show no evidence of Stockholm Syndrome. So it's Mm. actually not that common in hostage situations. It's, like, a very specific set of circumstances in which it could develop. Right, because I would imagine in kind of, like, a hostage takeover situation, most of the time people probably do get hurt. Right, and a lot of times they say that there's a lot of, um, you know, for the FBI's definition, you have to not have a relationship with the people before the hostage situation to really develop Stockholm Syndrome. There are other situations such as child abuse accommodation syndrome and battered woman syndrome, which can account to similar sorts of things of identifying with your abuser, but it's not necessarily the same it's like similar but it's different so they say for stockholm syndrome it has to be no prior relationship which automatically excludes a lot of these situations to count for sure a lot of times they say that there is you know threats of suicide there is violence and they do know each other so it's slightly different Um, And it's common for victims in a hostage or barricade situation to have some negative feelings towards law enforcement, but not Stockholm Syndrome. A lot of times it can be like frustration that they're in there for so long, Mm. feeling like the police aren't doing enough. Right. But not feeling like the police are worse than the captors in that situation. Um, And then they said that this is the key here is that the condition does not result from a conscious decision or rational choice to befriend the captor and this is kind of where it gets interesting Mm -hmm. is that you know sometimes they'll encourage captives to act like they like the person but for it to be stockholm it has to be a genuine not a decision starting to like the person not just pretending to like them Mm -hmm. in order to survive it's like a genuine thing takes over um yeah they're saying that the hostage tends to regress to essentially a stage of infancy they're dependent on the perpetrator for all of their needs like a hundred percent so it's kind of like they're your parent in the situation if you think to some of your earliest memories or just think about like any toddlers that you know if you have kids like they're dependent on you 100% of the time. They cannot do very much. Humans don't, can't really be independent for quite a long time compared to other species, right? Like, they can't do things on their own for a while. They're very dependent on you. And since it's something we've all gone through before at some point in our lives, when we were a infant, a toddler, it looks like it can mimic that where suddenly you're in that. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, if you haven't drank for 24 hours and they give you water to quench your thirst, that seems like a caring thing for them to do because they could just let you dehydrate. Dehydrate. Die. Yeah. So it's kind of that thing where it's just like, it's a bit of a regression and a genuine caring for that person because they're doing perceived nice things to you, even though it's not logical at all. Right. Um, and like I said earlier, hostage negotiators may encourage a bond between the perpetrator and the hostage because it does statistically increase the risk, the likelihood that the hostages will survive the situation. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So here's where the controversy, the controversy is that so Stockholm syndrome is not an actual diagnosis. It's not a. It's not in the DSM. It's not like not billable. To, it's not billable. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean it's not real. Plenty of things are not billable that are not technically disorder. Like there's lots of things that can be issues that you go to counseling for that aren't billable. But like it's not an official diagnosis. Right. Um, so like a, one of the common examples of Stockholm syndrome is Elizabeth Smart. People yes. will say she had it um, because. She was kidnapped, she was held for a while, but she was brought into public situations. When she was found by the police, she didn't immediately say who he was, like, who she was. She didn't run away when she had the chance. So people say that she had Stockholm Syndrome. However, she herself openly states that she never bonded with her captors and she did not have any emotional connection to them. Mm -hmm. She was more of, she was scared. So she didn't run. Like, it was not because yeah. she cared about them. It was not because she didn't want to go home to her family. That's what she says. And obviously she knows her situation better than anyone else right. does. Um, she also experienced significant abuse yes. and sexual assault during the time she was held captive, which, per kind of the FBI and everything yep. else, does not necessarily go along with the conditions most likely to create Stockholm Syndrome. So it doesn't mean she, you know, it doesn't mean she couldn't have developed it, but she is very firm that she did not. So some of the examples are tricky. Right. If they had it or not. Um, it's relatively rare. Like the FBI said, it's not, most cases they're not exhibiting symptoms like that. Like it's pretty rare. It's not, it doesn't happen every time the conditions are right for it. Um, and there's little research into it. Like right now, it. You know, obviously, we can't ethically force people into a hostage situation to see what Not happens, currently. right? Like, so we research when we can with these things. There's just not enough research to really say either way on it um, to get a specific set of traits of things and all of that. So right now, it's kind of considered like something that could happen, but largely is PTSD. Yep. Correcto mundo. All right, guys. So I want to tell you a story. Um, I feel like not a lot of people have heard of this one because um, it's from a while ago, actually. Um, so I want to tell the story of Mary McElroy. So on May 27th of 1933, 25-year-old Mary McElroy was taking a bath in her dad's house. And she was abducted by four men, including... Um, two brothers, and their names were George and Walter McGee. 
So the men had broken into the house with a sawed-off shotgun and then waited for Mary to get dressed before taking her to an old farmhouse and chaining her to a wall in the basement. Um, So, I mean, that even beginning part of the fact that, you know, they allowed her to get dressed and things like that is kind of already showing that kindness. Um, So... Mary McElroy was actually the daughter of a Kansas City manager, Henry F. McElroy. Um, he and was a so because of this, she was a potential gold mine in ransom money. And so originally, the men demanded sixty thousand, which is I don't even know how much in nineteen thirty three um, for her release, but eventually settled for thirty thousand. So on May twenty ninth. 1933 mary was released and the sum was paid so three of the men were captured less than a month later and sent to trial however mary said that she was well cared for during the 29 hours in captivity she even stated that one man had given her flowers at some point so when the trial concluded and all three men were given harsh sentences um i think the one leader was one of the brothers. I can't remember which one, Um, but they were sentenced actually to execution. Um, Mary was actually riddled with guilt, so she publicly sympathized with her abductors and actually called the governor, um, and the governor at the time was Guy Brassfield Park, um, to reverse the sentence. Um, And eventually, the sentence, sentence was changed to life in prison. Uh, Mary remained friends with both of the McGee brothers throughout their incarceration and actually visited them in prison and brought them gifts. So you can kind of see, it's just even in that part too, the fact that, you know, she was released, not captive anymore, but she was still going out of her way to visit them while in prison and bring them gifts. So just kind of exacerbates, um, you know, that definition that we were talking about before. So she continued to have PTSD-like symptoms and allegedly had an addiction to opium. Um, I'm not sure if that's true or not. But then her father died in 1939 and Mary's mental state collapsed at that point. So on January 21st, 1940, she committed suicide with a pistol shot to the head. And part of her suicide note read, My four kidnappers are probably the four people on earth who don't consider me an utter fool. So, yeah. Very, very interesting story. Very clearly Stockholm Syndrome. You know, by definition, all of it. Um, so, I mean, I wanted to talk about some things to kind of consider in her story. The first two is that two of the kidnappers were brothers. So, kind of going back to what we talked to about before, I wonder if just, you know, them being family kind of created a sense of humanity in the situation. Just Maybe. seeing how they cared for each other and, and that they were family. Another consideration is, you know, as I was going through it, she never was physically harmed. Um, And that's a key component to keep in mind because in a lot of these cases, people are physically harmed. Another thing I I kind of was wondering about, too, is during that time in the 30s, how coercion or, you know, to the extreme level of kidnapping was almost to be expected by really wealthy people. Like, I even think back, and this didn't happen that long ago, where I think it was either the 
owner of Coca-Cola or Pepsi, um, they were, like, abducted and held oh. for ransom. Really? Yeah. I did not hear about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it didn't happen that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure, like, ever since that happened, um, they have, like, high security. They of live course, in a very yeah. private place, stuff like that. Um, so I wonder if when she was being kidnapped if she kind of chalked it up to like her father's wealth of like okay well clearly like they want money because my dad's rich and like didn't feel in danger in that way knowing that her dad did have that money that he could give them to get her back Mm -hmm. um and then the last thing that i think is important to consider is it's almost like she had some sort of like survivor's guilt based on kind of like that trauma bond theory of like, okay, they all were like in this situation. They all got out of it. But, you know, obviously the kidnappers were like sent to death, you know, to be executed and had um, life sentences in prison and she didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of go back to trauma bonding in the sense that like, they all experience like this really intense situation together um and there's no one she can really identify with after the fact so it's interesting that even like in her suicide note she was saying like nobody understands me except the four people that kidnapped me Mm -hmm. so really interesting case i had never heard of it until we looked this up well, I think at the same time, if you look at it with kind of that survivor's guilt piece, from a lot of the research that I did, suicide does not seem like it's an uncommon thing amongst people with Stockholm Syndrome. Totally. And it's kind of similar to some of the stuff, Lauren, I don't know if you've seen this in your practice or in everything, but generally in the culture, if we compare it to survivors of rape or what they did yep. were always questioned did you fight hard enough did you do this there is that pressure where it's like they're the victims it right this should have never happened to begin with right and so like you know in these situations you do whatever you can to survive you yep. make decisions based on trying to survive the situation which other people might think you didn't do enough and in situations like this where you're kidnapped like you're just trying to make sense of what happened and when you're getting that you know a lot of flack from people when you're getting a lot of judgment and a lot of like why did you do this you're a fool like you should have done this better you should have done this better you should have done this better when your mind is panicked you're not thinking rationally like it's not something that you're really thinking rationally about and so it's like a lot of times this is out of your control and that overwhelming you should have done it differently can haunt people totally because it's not your fault like if you're a survivor of rape it's not your fault it doesn't matter what happened it's not your fault if you were a child abuse survivor it was not your fault if you were kidnapped it was not your fault exactly exactly and it is interesting that um you know afterwards she did have PTSD symptoms Mm -hmm. um and I I have to imagine that's really common yeah so so that's Mary McElroy and her little story okay so so it looks like this is in fact recording now my apologies we uh had the whole my computer crashed in the middle of recording Minor crisis. Minor crisis. It does look like we were able to recover the whole recording. I'm just leaving a nice 
gap. Little gap here, just because I don't know how well it's going to work stitching these two together, so I'm just throwing in an explanation intro just in case we need it. Anyways, let's go back to our friend Patty Hearst. Patty Hearst uh, is the granddaughter of William Hearst. So, lots of money in this family. Rich granddad, not rich dad. So a slight mix-up from Lauren's story. Um, but again, the family members of exceedingly wealthy people are, are at a risk of kidnapping. Higher than the average person, it I seems I would say like. so, yeah. Um, or we just hear about it in an ornament amount because of media and coverage. white women getting a lot of press attention yeah, oftentimes. white women get a lot of attention so sorry sorry um that's <laughs> coming from two white women coming i mean from two white women yeah that is that is a thing um but anyways so she was 19 she's living in berkeley with her fiance nice little life she's got until february 4th of 1974 where members of the berkeley base group sla kidnapped her so they showed up at her door there were uh two women and one man and they just kind of showed up and kidnapped her they beat up her fiance tied him up and they also beat up one of her neighbors who tried to help the sla i'm just gonna call them the sla but they their formal name is the symbionese liberation army um, Symbionese is not a real word. They just made that up. Oh, okay. And so they're kind of, I'll talk more about them specifically, but they are a far-left militant group that existed in California for a few years. And so um, I'm going to kind of bring in some quotes from her, from Patty Hearst, a little bit as you go through. Um, she just talks on Larry King Live. She has an autobiography about this. So she said, they knock on the door, and the next thing I know, there is a kidnapping. People are being beaten up and, you know, gunshots. They did shoot up into the air while they were leaving, so there mm. were gunshots as well. So pretty scary thing right off Right, the it kind of sets the stage of I might get hurt. Right, and so, like, she has that fear instantly. Um, they tried to use her kidnapping to negotiate for the release of several SLA members who were in jail at the time. That did not fly, didn't work. That was their first attempt. Um... And kind of going through this, this is there's a great drunk history on this featuring Kristen <laughs> Wiig as yes. Patty Hearst. Um, obviously, drunk history not the best source of information, but it does <laughs> the seem most interesting. Factually accurate while featuring Kristen Wiig, so it's pretty funny. Um, and so, you know, the I'm just gonna kind of rework this; it makes more sense. So. SLA, it was led by escaped convict Donald DeFries, who is known as General Field Marshal Sinke Mtum. Oh. Um, and they kept her locked in the closet for 57 days. So Whoa. the first 57 days of her captivity, she was in the closet. She stated that she was subjected to radical rantings, abuse, and rape. So here's Ooh. where we see the first indication that she may have actually not fit the criteria of having Stockholm Syndrome because she was, you know, raped and she was abused yeah. pretty readily. Um, so kind of after that, you know, they were, her family had a lot of money. He demanded, they demanded that her parents gave millions of dollars to feed California's poor. Hmm. Um, the family and the foundation respond with $2 million in food for the needy area. 
but negotiations with the SLA fell apart when they were asking for more money. The Hearst said they couldn't, um, you know, Randolph Hearst said he couldn't meet that amount. The corporation did offer to put money in escrow dependent on her release. So they were trying Hmm. to negotiate financially for her release um, and did give away a lot of food to people, but it didn't end up working. Um, Hearst said that her confinement was part of a brainwashing strategy. Quote, they debilitate you by locking you up. You're deprived of sight light sleep and food you depend on them for everything and for all information and the dread is just the threat constantly that you'll be killed if you don't cooperate wow so there again they're responsible for all of her needs and there is a very real threat of death yep so here's where it gets a little bit murky so then at one point in time they released a a tape that said that she had voluntarily joined the SLA and she was now a member. It came along with a photograph of her in front of their flag wearing the beret and holding the machine gun. I think a lot of us have Mm -hmm. seen that photo. That's kind of the famous one. Yep. So, you know, there's kind of the tricky thing is that, so she said on the tape that she voluntarily joined. She also says in her autobiography that the tapes were scripted and that she was given the option she could become part of the SLA or be killed. She agreed to join and was given the name Tanya. So that's kind of where it gets tricky is like, did she join? People assume that she joined voluntarily because she grew bonded to them. And then later she kind of says that, like, no, they said they would kill her if she didn't, so she was going along with it, and it was a conscious choice, not an emotional bond. Mm. Um, Then to show off its newest recruit, they targeted the Hiberia Bank branch in San Francisco. Um, They stole $10,000 for the group, which was short on funds, and the bank's surveillance camera showed a Hearst holding a rifle. Two people were shot during that. Yeesh. So kind of then what happens to get to this more of the story part before we get more into the psychology is that, um, you know, there was a lot of kind of crime happening with this. On May 16th, 74, Hearst sprayed a barrage of gunfire outside an L.A. sporting goods store to help free SLA member Bill Harris, who was detained for shoplifting. Ooh. Um, so she did, she did shoot, and then it says, Hearst pointed an M1 carbine and fired the whole clip, said FBI agent Charles Bates in an interview. Then she took another rifle, shot some more. As I recall, there were about 30 shots, and there were people walking on the sidewalk. Thank God she missed them. So she didn't actually shoot any people. Oh, good. Um, they made a getaway in a van, but they ditched it, got a parking ticket that ended up leading to their whereabouts. Oh. The following day, the L.A. police surrounded a house where most S.L.A. members were holed up. A massive shootout ensued, and the building went up in flames. Yikes. Showed on live television. Um, they, Hearst was not there. She was in a motel in Disneyland, so she watched the shootout. Six SLA members were killed in the battle with the police. Um, and she says, I was convinced there was no way I could come out in the open now without the police or the FBI gunning me down as they had the others. So that's where the police fear comes in. I feel like that's different than Stockholm Syndrome. Right? And that's the argument that I will be making at the end of this, right? She was scared to come forward because other SLA members had been killed. 
The summer following the shootout, they hid out in Pennsylvania, New York, they returned to California. Um, so they kind of moved. Um, her autobiography describes involvement in more bank robberies and the planting of bombs in police cars the following year. Um, 18 months after her kidnapping, the FBI caught up with her and she was arrested in San Francisco on September 18th, 1975. Mm. Um, the pictures were defiant images of a handcuffed Hearst with clin the clinched fist of a revolutionary. Um, when asked her occupation during booking and fingerprinting, her response was that she was an urban gorilla. Okay. So that's kind of the other thing where people feel like she had Stockholm Syndrome is she was very defiant when she was arrested and was kind of saying she was a part of it. Right. Um, two years exactly after the abduction, the trial of the century got underway in San Francisco. She was represented by famed lawyer F. Lee Bailey. She faced charges of armed bank robbery and the use of a firearm in commission of a felony in the Hiberia Bank case. Her defense was brainwashing and fear that she would be killed if she didn't participate. Hmm. So that's kind of where Stockholm Syndrome was essentially the defense that sure. they use. But they kind of use that and then kind of that, you know, the brainwashing, the Stockholm Syndrome, the fear of being killed. Uh, she was found guilty on both counts. And okay. she was served seven years in prison. Um, in the second case about the store shootout, she pleaded no contest and received probation. After two years behind bars, President Jimmy Carter commuted her sentence in early 1979, and weirdly enough, Bill Clinton ultimately pardoned her right before he left office. What? So he, I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. Um, and then I'll talk a little bit about the SLA before I go into it. So, the SLA, or the Symbionese Liberation Army, was a left-wing organization active between 1973 and 1975. It considered itself a vanguard army. They committed bank robberies, murders, and other acts of violence. And a lot of times, you'll hear that, you know, they had very conflicting ideology. They were just kind of a small mil There were only, I think, like nine total members of it. So it wasn't oh, like okay. a big group of people. It was a really small group of people, actually. And so Patty Hearst has kind of been lauded a lot and like said that she was one of the biggest Stockholm Syndrome cases. But if you like a lot of the quotes that I read by her, I didn't have a chance to read her whole autobiography. I would like to. Um, but I haven't yet, really states that she did not have an emotional bond. There's nothing to yeah. indicate. She kind of says that they gave her a choice, and she made the choice to avoid being killed, and did everything out of fear of being killed. And I don't think she would, like, release this stuff in a book talking against them if she truly had Stockholm Syndrome. Right. Similar to, like, Mary McElroy, where, like, after everything was, like, said and done, and it was very clear she was safe and the people were being punished, she went out of her way to try to get their sentences reduced and visit them and stuff oh, like that. Right, so. and I, you know, I will say, obviously, I've never met Patty Hearst. She is still <laughs> alive. I don't know. Is she really? She, yeah, she is. Oh. She did some acting, too. I mean, she was born in 54. She's not, oh. she's not really that old or anything. Okay. But, you know, looking at it, did she have Stockholm Syndrome? Maybe. It's a strong maybe. If you look at the FBI's definition of Stockholm Syndrome, 
like it's not really they're not really displaying acts of kindness from what we've heard like they kept her in a closet for 57 days they didn't kill her that was the perceived kindness that they continued to not kill her but according to her she was raped she was assaulted there was a lot of violence and she made a conscious choice to participate in order to do that now in terms of her behavior when she was arrested that's a solid maybe maybe it was a conscious choice that eventually turned into emotional bond you know i'm not going to pretend i'm an expert on this particular case but you know she doesn't seem to be indicating that there was an emotional bond it kind of seems like she again just did what she had to do to survive but maybe consciously she she seems conflicted about it during most of the times it's actually happening but at the same time this is information coming from her so it's like you don't know is this maybe she did have stockholm syndrome and it doesn't make sense to her so this is how she's justifying it that it wasn't like you don't know right i'm not her therapist i haven't assessed her and so this is one where they definitely use stockholm syndrome in the media i mean all of this was happening like she was kidnapped a year after the stockholm syndrome became a thing after the bank Um. robbery in stockholm and so it's like did she really have it was it just a defense that got out of hand we really don't know but it's interesting and this is where that controversy comes in mm-hmm. is even in some of that you know research even in the famous cases of stockholm syndrome did they really naturally bond with it or did they pretend to save their lives right and for it to be stockholm syndrome they can't you know be pretending it's a genuine emotion mm-hmm. um i mean and it looks like she did defend some of the people i don't have a ton of research on that right now like but you know it's it's conflicting and there was a lot of conflict about it but if you look at her autobiography which i believe came out 25 years after this happened so this um. is much later that her book came out okay regardless of everything else she seems to be indicating that she did what she had to do to survive. Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, obviously Stockholm Syndrome is a way of doing what you have to do to survive, but it is slightly different. Right. So it's just kind of an interesting thing, and that's why this is so controversial, is we just don't have enough cases of this happening. Thank God we don't have that many cases I of know, these sort seriously. of kidnappings and things, right? It's very hard to pinpoint when a lo- when these do happen if it's you know genuine bonds if it's just like trying to survive what it actually is and until we have more research we won't know but with these cases i mean unless you assess the person it's really hard to know their thought processes behind what they happen because also people with trauma tend to have pretty significant memory gaps that is one of the criteria of ptsd so like there's always going to be gaps you're not going to know exactly what happened if you look at some of the other famous kidnapping cases you know some people are held for years you don't remember every single thing that happens over years right nobody and that would be really debilitating if you didn't remember all of it you know i mean you probably couldn't tell me everything you did last year nope it's just like it's a long period of time even when it's traumatic it's so long it's hard to get to remember every single thing and trauma can make you forget so it's so hard to actually understand i mean it sounds like 
being locked in a closet for 57 days is super traumatic and scary totally. and she genuinely feared for her life I mean I would say obviously I have an interviewer I don't you know in terms of was she responsible for the bank robbery probably not I mean you don't know if she really wanted to rob the bank or if she was there like right. she did shoot into the air you don't know why you don't know the kind of the backstory to that other than the fact that she definitely did it, but I don't know if legally she would be responsible for doing it on mm-hmm. the basis of having been kidnapped and having been brainwashed like that. Yeah, very true, very true. So, um, I was gonna ask something, I can't remember now. But yeah, I mean, Patty Hearst, if you wanna <laughs> get assessed, hit us up. Yeah, Patty Hearst. <laughs> hey, Patty. Well, I'm sure as a regular listener, this um, if you're friends with patty hearst yeah i would love to hear a direct answer from patty hearst on if she had stockholm syndrome i am making some assumptions based on the clips of her autobiography i read again i haven't read the whole thing so there may be contradictory information that i didn't miss i just got this from several major news sources of what happened along with quotes from her autobiography so i could have missed something but I would say her Stockholm syndrome is confusing. It, it's a confusing question. Confusing at word. best. You don't know. And I, again, with all of this, the same with Lauren's. Like it happened a long time ago. We don't mm-hmm. have like exact things. So it's like you don't know the exact neural pathways that are being activated. You don't know the exact things that are happening. And it's really we don't know her family history, how she related to her family members, right. any of that. And so it's just there's so much unknown with Stockholm syndrome. I hope that we're. You know, not that we hope that more stuff happens, but hopefully if it does, we're better able to actually research it in the future so we can get some answers. But mm-hmm. right now there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of theories. There's not a lot of research and evidence, though. Right. It would truly have to be a very, like, qualitative study, and mm-hmm. that's hard to come by. It is. So, yeah, I mean, that's Stockholm Syndrome. Hopefully it gives you guys a better idea of, like, how that could happen. Yeah. and what it's about and a couple of stories about it yeah great anything you want to add lauren before we um let's see what's some good shit people are doing let's think Mm. um good shit good Good shit i heard about something oh oh i heard of a really good one I can't remember the name right now, but there's a coffee shop in the city. Grounds for Hope, I think. Is that what it is? I believe so. Okay. So Grounds for Hope, um, I think it's like most of the time it's dark matter coffee, but then they switch it over to Grounds for Hope. And so in the city of Chicago, it's basically like this um, coffee shop where people can go if they're having, you know any sort of like mental health difficulties just for support and I guess they have mental health workers that um you know are there and present and can support people um just through whatever experience they're going through which I think is so cool you know kind of creating outlets for community to come together and support each other if they have if they're having mental health issues yeah I think that's great I would go there shit yeah we should we should we should go check it out. Like, hey, make what's a, up? I'm having a crisis. Give me a latte. We can make a field trip and go visit it. Yeah. I'm sure you can drop. It's still a coffee house, so True. I'm sure we could go by. See we're what's like, up. we're off duty, but here to support. 
just here to check you out, get some more information. Um, yeah, I really don't have much good news. I've kind of ducked out of the news, respectfully, the last week or two, just to focus more on things in my personal life and wedding planning and all of that. So I'm sure there's lots of good news that I have missed out on the past few weeks. I plan on getting caught up soon. Okay, that's all right. Yeah. But we both love coffee we and mental health, so... I mean, coffee exists. That's good news. That right is there. good news. All right, guys. Go out into the world. Don't give people Stockholm Syndrome. Be good people. Be good humans. Don't kidnap anyone. You're better than that. And schedule another session with your therapist. Yeah, just... just Don't <laughs> ghost them. <laughs> have you ever ghosted the therapist? Nope. I have. Have you? I t- Totally have. On a couple. Actually, I take that back. I think I've done it once. Yeah. 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 It happens. But try your best not to. You know, if you're not going to come back, just let them know. Like, you're not coming back. An email, like, hey, I'm never coming back. Bye. Leave it, drop a note with the receptionist. Mail a letter. Let them know somehow. Let them know. Snail mail. If you like your therapist, and you want to keep seeing them. Therapy's good work. It encourages, obviously. So, All yeah. Right. All right. Call your therapist. Stay spooky. <laughs> Stay spooky. Bye. Bye.